0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. Today, we have a new episode in our Industry Insider Series, and we're talking all about distribution. Primarily, we're talking about retail distribution, uh, traditional brick-and-mortar record stores and um, online record stores, I guess, as well. We kind of try to cover quite a lot here. My guest today is Abby Goldsmith of Secretly Group, and she works at Secretly Distribution, the distribution arm of Secretly Group. We've had a lot of Secretly labels uh, on the show in the past, including JAG and Secretly, uh, and I think hopefully more in the future. So it's great to talk to someone who's in the thick of it who not only deals with record labels primarily as a liaison to independent record labels but also has a finger on the pulse of indie record stores and so that's what this show is all about is like trying to connect us behind the scenes trying to get us some information in areas especially in the industry insider series in areas of the music industry that we don't always have easy access to so hopefully I asked Abby the right questions for you on your behalf, and hopefully we can uncover some of the mystery about when is it right for me as a small record label to look into national distribution options for my vinyl or my CDs or my tapes or international distribution options? And when should I just maybe focus on my hometown record store? So we talk all about that. I want to kind of slowly put together a resource on the topic of distribution uh, on my website. So I'm just building it up now, but go to otherrecordlabels.com slash distribution. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash distribution. And I'll try to put the notes from today's episode uh, in there as well as access to the video from today's episode. And any other resources I come across um, with respect to distribution can be found at otherrecordlabels.com slash distribution. Well, that's great. And I mean, honestly, I was so keen because it's a um, distribution and by the way, correct me if like, uh, this, if I'm wrong, but like I, uh, the question I have a lot of questions about the topic I have a lot of questions about, or the facet of distribution is the physical side and the, and the retail side, uh, digital, obviously, um, you know, that's kind of like a separate thing, but from the yeah. the the brick and mortar area is something a lot of like labels are still really, like small labels, they stress about a lot because they don't really feel legitimate if they don't have their records shipped to stores on release day. And even sure. though a lot of us will think, okay, we'll, we'll get there eventually, and, and I'm gonna ask you about all this when we dive in, but even though they think we're gonna get there eventually, um, they're not sure of what that path looks like, or or how do you know that you've got there, you know, whatever that means. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. Um. And yeah, similarly, I mean, I think that's been the experience of a lot of labels we work with now. I mean, I have a lot of friends' labels who are not with a distributor right, yet, you know, right. at varying levels and sizes. And Sort of being in the community that I am, and it sounds like you are as well, I think, yeah, there is such an emphasis on, um, you know, vinyl or or physical formats, and and it does feel more legitimizing. Um, And I do think it's important, and I do think that there are, I mean, of course, there are paths, um, but I, you know, and we can get into this more later, but there are a lot of things that you can do. Before, you know, maybe you're at a scale or size to be with a full service distributor, there are things that you can do to sort of, you know, start that process, definitely.
0: That's awesome. And we're, we're definitely going to dive into that. But first, let me ask you about, um, okay, so we're talking about distribution. I know that Secretly does digital and physical. What do you, cons- what is the terminology here? Like, are we talking, is it physical distribution? Is it retail distribution? Like, what do you in the, in the industry folk call it?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say we call it physical distribution. I mean, we refer to ourselves as a global physical and digital distribution service. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess physical makes a lot of sense um, because it's like digital and physical. They're like brother and sister. So yes. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. They're
1: both very important, you know, pieces of the pie.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that's good is as i was thinking about this i'm curious is this like your job and this topic it's like more important than ever i would imagine because of like the vinyl resurgence that's happened in the past 15 years and it has not slowed down yet is that true
1: yes absolutely i mean you know i think for us and our community it's it's been interesting because physical and vinyl were like never out of the picture. Yeah. Um of course the the quantity is different and and the like priority of that format is different. Um but physical distribution has always been an important part mm-hmm. of of like our business specifically. Um and you know, I think that the independent music world generally, you know, I know major labels that became of course, less important for a period of time. Um, but like secretly distribution was founded on the premise that the labels, you know, secretly Canadian, um, wanted physical distribution. That was, that was, you know, they were having trouble getting in with record stores. They were having trouble getting paid. And so that's kind of, you know, of course, digital has come in and become a a big important part of our company and distribution generally, um, but yeah, the the basis was definitely physical, and though it maybe the you know percentage between the two has varied over time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, vinyl has 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 definitely um, you know industry wide had a, a pretty wild resurgence and. Um, but yeah, it, it never like. Went away I get for that. Us. No,
0: no, I totally yeah. get that. Has let me ask, let me rephrase it, uh, reform it here. Has the digital era, and I'm not just talking about streaming. I'm also talking about social media and all of our like instantaneous appetites. How does that like affect the demands and expectations of customers? Where it's like, you know, at twelve oh one, we can hear an entire album. And now we like it and we want to go to the store and we want to pick it up. Or Amazon, we want it to be available on Amazon, same day shipping or next day shipping. So has everybody's demand for immediacy, has that trickled into retail?
1: Definitely. Um, I mean, luckily, I think now we're at a point where at least a lot of physical customers kind of understand. I think, I think it can be challenging with some of the newer, um, physical customers of which there are quite a, quite a bit. Um, just because they kind of were born into this, this immediate realm. (laughs) I get what you're saying. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think it's all in the messaging. I mean, um, you know, we try to make sure that even when, um, you know, whether it's digital singles going up or a full, you know, digital album arriving before the physical format. Uh, I mean, a, we want to make sure that's all communicated like as clearly as possible. We also typically will have, um, you know, physical pre-orders up at that time. So while they can't grab it immediately, they can order it.
0: Feel like they Um, have a place in line.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And I feel, you know, I think, unfortunately, due to the pandemic and all of the pretty insane manufacturing delays and issues that were going on, um, you know, a lot of customers got pretty used to very long delays between when they were ordering something and able to hear it digitally versus when they received it physically. Um, So I think a lot of customers have just Become acquainted with with yeah. that aspect of things. I mean, I definitely don't want it to, um, you know, of course, impact the physical sales, especially with record stores, who are very, you know, an important part of mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who we serve here. So, you know, we do our best to drive folks there, regardless. Um, and you know, I think a lot of the people. I mean, there, there is some competition, of course, between digital and physical, but I I really think they're complementary at this point. And I think more people are willing to accept I that agree. they are yeah. complementary with yeah. each other. I, um, yeah, I
0: completely agree. Yeah. yeah. I've noticed that, like, I think my own behaviors, I used to feel like if I was enjoying a digital album or streaming it, that I wanted to get it on vinyl as quickly as, or even back in the day CD, as quickly as possible before. I wasn't interested in it anymore. So the idea of like a record coming six months later, I would I wouldn't do that. Now I feel like from a label's perspective and from an artist's perspective, I feel like that separation is almost like elongating the the life of the the lifespan of the album in a in a good way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it definitely can be used as strategy. It can be used as as part of your campaign. But but yeah, I mean I think myself, you know, I just because I can listen to something online um doesn't mean that I won't buy it physically. Um typically my my physical catalog and collection is just representing my favorite things mm-hmm. and I'll still, though I own it on vinyl, listen to it quite frequently yeah. digitally. And yeah. maybe it maybe it, it, it increases my you know, fandom to be able to do that so easily. And then when I'm having the moment to sit down or I'm my record player, you know, I'll listen to it in that way and they're different experiences, but
0: yeah. I totally agree. Okay, I want to go off total tangent sidetrack here and maybe you know, if you don't know the answer, that's okay, we can just sit around and speculate. But okay. I've noticed in the past, like, Five years that we don't get download codes in vinyl anymore, and I'm okay with it because I'm like you, like I have Spotify and I have Apple Music and Amazon. I'm sure, and like I, I don't need a download code anymore. Uh, maybe if that all goes away, I do. But like I'm just curious. Do you know anything about that? Like I've just s- slowly noticed them not being included. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. But. This is a.
1: This is. A- Highly debated topic Is in it? our like label ecosystem. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we're constantly getting questions from labels because I mean, you know, we can see or the labels can see the the redemption rates. Okay. And really, there yeah. I want to say it's typically like five percent. Okay. of Digital yeah. downloads get downloaded. You know, but it's interesting because it's still like an important sales point. It's still something that labels get asked or that, you know, folks in record stores get asked if there's a digital download, like there's still a perceived value from
0: customers,
1: but the redemption rate is low. So I think, I think some labels have just decided, well, instead of going the route of printing those little cards and, you know, adding paper Waste or yeah, something. Yeah. We will just, if someone reaches out to us, we'll just send them a digital oh,
0: download. Sure. Five, and I think five percent, most, yeah.
1: mo- most or all labels would just do that. Um, some labels, you know, are more like, well, it's not that big of a lift and people do still ask for it. So we'll just go ahead and keep doing them. Um, I've but noticed I would say
0: that it's. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I've noticed that it's oh, no, actually again. the demand of the record stores because if you buy on Bandcamp, you get it. If you buy from, usually if you buy from like a, a Bookmat or a Shopify store, you're going to get it in your checkout process. But it's the record stores who are like, if you're discovering a record on the shelf for the very first time, um, it's incentive to buy it there if they get a download as well. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's definitely who we, that's, that is who we hear from that okay. is still wanting them okay. to be there. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, so we we do still, you know, of course, mention that to all labels and, and recommend it. Um, and, but yeah, it's like mm. I said, it's a it's a highly debated, it's kind of <laughs> constantly evolving conversation. But I will say, if there's ever not a digital download. I would recommend just reaching out to the label
0: and that, that's a great point. They all have a yeah. <laughs> they all have a zip file somewhere they can send It'll you. They'll send it yeah, to that's you. That's so yeah. funny. Oh my gosh, that's what I love about this podcast is we get to talk about something so narrow and niche. But yeah. yet it's so <laughs> exciting and interesting because I've been wondering that. And, and he, it's
1: universal. It Everybody is, talks yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's true. People are, have been mentioning it a lot. And also in our community, t- people want to know because like the insertion fee, like the paper, yes. But I think the insertion fee would probably be going up with the price of labor too. Because like it takes a human to put those in. So, right. Yeah.
1: Right. That's the other thing. You know, costs of manufacturing have increased quite yeah. a bit yeah. over the last yeah. few years. So any little way that labels can, you know, keep costs down um and keep the overall like cost of the record down. They're they're trying to find those things.
0: I've always thought it it would be fun to um put like a QR code <clears throat> excuse me on the marketing sticker. Um, yeah. on the cellophane that links to the bank cam- well I don't want to under undermine the record store, but like maybe to Spotify or to even to a download link, you know what I mean? Where they could hear it instantly, get the download for free, and then maybe be convinced on the spot to buy the record. I don't know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had this conversation with quite a few labels. Um, and I think we've even had a label or two implement it where, you know, maybe their announcement single or whatever their first campaign yeah, single or is. Or a music video. Um, yeah, yeah. It links to something. And I think it's a great idea. Um, You know, it is it can be tricky and a little prickly to like drive, like you said, record store customers to a digital platform. Um, But again, I think now more folks are warming up to the idea that that's still a, a space for discovery and if it's just the single that they can like quickly get, yeah. even if it's like a 30 second clip or something, yeah. it's a way for them to test it in order to hopefully buy that record in store.
0: In the store. Yeah. And if they're in yeah. there, they obviously care about the record store. Like, you know, yeah. for, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Oh, man, I love the weeds. I love the weeds so much. Okay, tell oh, me.
1: Me too. Tell me... This is my whole day, most <laughs> days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, tell me about what you do at Secretly. Let's let, let's find out about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my role is called a label rep. Um, so I basically, I manage a portion of our label partners, and I'm their main point of contact at Secretly Distribution. Okay. So that role can be pretty broad. I wear a lot of hats, but um, you know, I'm overseeing the label's release schedules, um, taking regular calls with them to, yeah, just understand what their schedule is looking like so that I can report it back to our teams, make sure we're on schedule. Um, I'll advise on strategy, marketing. It could be pricing. Mm-hmm. You know, any anything. Um, troubleshoot issues answer questions. My days can look pretty different depending on what's going on, but generally main point of contact, make sure our labels are feeling supported and that, you know, our teams are across what they have going on.
0: Um, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Are you, were you, were you a record buyer growing up? Like, are you, are you living on the other side of like, just to me, it sounds like, oh, that's cool. That's like the other side of what, as a customer, I would have been curious about.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I kind of got, so I did go to school for a music business like degree. Um, but my main kind of starting point was I, I worked in a record store, that oh, was okay. my first music job. Oh, yeah, cool. And I had maybe had a few records before that. I mean, I definitely collected CDs yeah. uh, and things like that. I, I bought physical media for sure. Um, but I think my the large part of my record collection started when I was working at a store. Um, and I started that in college and then went from the store to label side and uh then ended up here at at secretly at the distributor so i think you know that that path starting at the record store definitely made sense i've always kind of been on the um the sales and marketing and and started in with physical
0: what kind of perspective do you have in your job now that you got from being uh you know behind the desk at a, at a, a, a retail store
1: honestly it is hugely influential. Um, I mean, you know, I think my role now has to really be able to balance the needs of both physical and digital sides Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think having that direct kind of on the ground experience of how customers interact with record stores, how record stores interact with each other and with labels, um, I think it, it just gives, um, it gives me kind of like in the weed, kind of an in the weeds ability to like examine how maybe like a marketing campaign would work in that shop or mm-hmm. an event or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, just being able to have that, you know, if, if a label comes and it has an idea Um, for something that's a little like non-traditional or off book, um, I'm kind of able to like sit in as a record store a bit and like ask questions to sort of bring it down to like a tangible, like this is what their experience will be like. How can we set it up so that it's something they'll actually want to do and isn't just like a very overwhelming and crazy (laughs) experience for them to try to implement? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good, observation. Um, We had, I think our very first episode ever was with Trouble in Mind Records, who are one of your peeps. And Bill also worked in a record store. And one of the things he mentioned on that episode was how he would see people with an armful of records walking around and browsing and then when they came to the checkout they would put two or three back. And that was like his realization, that like moment of empathy, like we've got to keep our prices low. And I back when I interviewed, this was five years ago now, he, I remember his records were like the cheapest in record stores. Yeah. And so let's, let me ask you about price a little bit. Like um it's, it's challenging for us on Bandcamp, you know, we're picking price of vinyl. It has a lot to do with the variants and and the features that come with that record and then CDs and tapes. I mean, a lot of us are just kind of following what you guys are doing, keeping in mind what Amazon is doing, which is in some cases, basement prices. So like, h- how are we to kind of pick a price? Let's talk about a colored vinyl, a one disc vinyl. Um, where does that number come from?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we look at a few different things. Um, of course, sort of information on on market standards plays in, but we always and our you know community of labels always does our best to keep prices as affordable as possible. Um, you know, it's always the calculation is is working backward, of course, from from the cost of manufacturing, right. and so prices have increased just because the cost of manufacturing has increased quite a bit and i mean to speak to what we were talking about before in your example honestly a lot of our labels have worked in record stores before and are super conscious of
0: mm-hmm. of
1: pricing um you know i think of course because of i don't know it's, it, you know it's about finding finding a balance you want it to be affordable but at the same time you don't want to devalue music in general, like just because someone can listen to it for free or very cheaply online doesn't mean it doesn't hold great value, especially when you've put a lot of care into the package and it is something really special. Um, So you, you have to find that happy balance. It still has to pay the artists. It still has to make sure that they can make a living. So it's important for it to be affordable, but it's also important for it to be sustainable Yeah, for the artist to make a living.
0: That's a great point because I find this conversation happens all the time about manufacturing. We look at our manufacturing costs and then we think about what should the best retail price be. And we're forgetting about the fact that the artist spent a year to write these songs. And not even to mention your engineering and mixing and mastering costs, which a lot of people don't build in. But right. just thinking like, what if we were to pay that artist $50,000 to sit at home and write those songs for a year? Should we be building that price into the $5,000? You know, I mean, in a way we should, yeah, at, exactly. at least implicitly thinking about it. Yeah, it's very interesting. So then, I mean, in my mind, I have this dichotomy where like, if I could offer a record for $17.99, it's better to break even than... Is sitting in my garage forever. I'd rather people have them, sure. who are especially people who are going to love them and show people about it. On the other hand, I appreciate what you're saying about devaluing things because I truly believe a record should cost no less than fifty dollars because it's something that a lot of us will hold on to for our lifetime and give away to exactly. our grandkids. So there's yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I think because. You know, it it would we would be having a different conversation if the access wasn't there mm. otherwise. Like if there wasn't a way for yeah. Yeah. people who didn't have the money to access that music, it would be a different conversation. Good but point. because there is that space for access, you know, physical products are um they're they're an extra like They are something that you don't have to have to be able to enjoy music. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's a a special item uh, and it should be like treated and and valued as such.
0: That's a really good point. Really, really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, we'll move off pricing. Um, Although I'm curious, and maybe you could just answer this broadly because I know that there's everybody's different and there's some things you probably aren't allowed to tell me, but the retailer, like, do they have an expectation of, of margin? Like when it comes to vinyl and cassettes, maybe um, what is that? Like who, who dictates the, the retail price? And then what kind of percentage discount are they expecting? I, I got kind of confused with that.
1: Yeah, totally. So I, I mean, it can vary somewhat. I think the traditional, Um, you know, there, there are a couple of, of, of prices that they see. Uh, so of course there's the wholesale cost Mm -hmm. that, that customers receive. So that's, um, that's, you know, their baseline of, of what they're paying for. Um, and then there's also, you know, some, some distributors and some, you know other partners require there to be an SRP okay. um, MSRP. So that would be kind of you know, the the cost at which most folks should be selling their item. Um, and those margins can vary. I think often you'll see them in like the maybe 30 to 40 okay. percent lift. Um, and we do establish MSRPs because some folks require them. Um, but it's also understood that, you know, shops have different costs. Mm -hmm. Shops exist in different communities. Um, you know, what a shop in, Los Angeles can price something at and be able to sell them maybe different than what a shop in Bloomington, Indiana can That's price fair. something at. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not policing that by any means. Um, the margin will ultimately, you know, be decided by shops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have Amazon and other online parties um, with the ability to try to have the best price that they can online. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, but I, I think I, that's a, maybe a long winded way to answer your question, no, but.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it because this is like kind of thing that like our audience members are curious about. And in some cases will need to know, especially if they're selling direct to their local store and uh, it's a tough question. It's not something you could just post online and get an answer from. So. I do appreciate getting getting that insight. So where does the job of distribution begin? In your case, when when does it begin? Are are you involved in manufacturing at all? Or or when does the album come into your orbit?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I guess to answer the manufacturing bit, um, that really depends on labels. So we do offer... A manufacturing and distribution and M and D option. Okay. Um, the majority of our labels handle their own manufacturing, um, but it is a service that we offer. Um, myself, the albums enter my orbit. I mean, ideally, as soon as possible. I'm having frequent conversations with labels, um, you know, at least monthly, if not more often. So. Mm-hmm they're keeping me apprised of their entire like upcoming schedule as they're signing artists sure. um as artists are recording music so that stuff should ideally all be on my radar like when it's on their radar okay um as far as when things you know kind of get into motion yeah. i mean there are certain key points i mean before they go into manufacturing there are, you know, ways we interact with them. Um, we will pitch for vinyl exclusive partners. Um, so, you know, that's a point in time prior to manufacturing where right. they would need to give us some information so that we can take it to other partners and see if, you know, like a vinyl me please or right. rough trade is interested in um, partnering on an exclusive variant. Sure. Um, you know. DSPs really want to, I mean, they ask for information really pretty early, many months out. Okay. Um, you know, I think already now they're hoping to know a little bit about like Q1 of 2024. So wow. those conversations are happening early. Wow. Uh, you know, it, it it is great for us to know like nine months to a year out.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And that schedule is tough. I mean, you know, as you mentioned before, um, artists really don't want to sit on music. They want to make it and release it. And I I totally understand that drive. Um, But when you're talking about wanting a campaign that is global, that is physical and digital, um, and that's going to be successful, you really need some time to, like, put your plan together and properly implement
0: it. Couldn't agree more. So just to give our listeners some context, we're recording this in June. So you're talking about like some some people requesting information six to seven months ahead of time. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think I've said this before, labels I feel like should know that. They really should have an idea, even if it's a blurry, blurry idea of what they yeah. they, they have planned for this fall, for Christmas, for Q1 next year. Uh, it's it's a good practice to have.
1: It is, it is. And and definitely, you know, if you're working with your distributor partner, working with, um, you know, some, some labels have like press on retainer, they have a press partner that they yeah. work with, yeah. you know, for all of their releases. So anyone that's going to be overseeing your whole schedule, it's really important for them to have that info alongside you and that requires you to have the information and to be you know pretty organized
0: so there would be then so let's take let's take like the far extreme would be maybe like a Phoebe record or a Bon Iver record like where and then of course there are people in our community who can drop something tomorrow if they want for a full-length record you know let's say with a medium-sized team what type of lead time would be ideal
1: I would say probably, I mean, ideal would be like, we're having early conversations. We know a little bit about what's going on between nine months to a year. It's okay. If the details aren't in focus, then, um, you know, obviously we don't have like a bio or press photos of those things, but like, at least we know a timeline, a loose timeline. We know it's coming. We can start prepping, you know, our reps at certain DSPs. um, And, you know, we can, we can just have it in our schedule to understand kind of the key points along the next few months that we need to hit to be able to, especially for, yeah, like a campaign for something that may get some significant marketing support. Mm, Um, Those things get booked really far out. And if you want to you know, if you want to look at any sort of, um, you know, funding or um, different programs. I mean, we have a lot of interesting programs with like retailers. Something like an Amoeba, What's in My Bag, or
0: mm. those
1: sorts of things. Rough Trades Edit Program. Um, you know, those things can book out, especially if you're if you're um, you know releasing in a busy time period. So. The earlier that we can start putting it on people's radars, the more likely you are to get access to those things.
0: Well, so I imagine you know about a lot of great albums that are coming down the pipeline. So when we stop recording, you can tell me all the great albums I can look forward to. I'll
1: reveal all of the secrets. Thank
0: you. Um, So uh, you could just share your screen. Just uh, show me the spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) let me ask you, we were, so we are talking about download codes. We are talking about the um, what customers are getting used to. So you've worked in a retail store and you represent the labels and distribution. Have you noticed any sort of trends that people are interested in um, when it comes to color vinyl, when it comes to anything like, sh- what kind of packages should we be putting together? Maybe some interesting things on tapes or whatever. I'm just kind of curious, are there things that, us as labels don't need to waste our time on cellophane or stickers or download cards. Are there things that <laughs> are more important?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, across the board, color vinyl has been definitely more valuable. Um, I think when when it's color vinyl versus black, typically color vinyl will sell first. Yeah. That seems to be what. Uh, fans get excited about it's also a little bit more like instagrammable for lack of a better word it's like something that's a little bit more exciting to share um, in social media and marketing Um, that said I think you know there was definitely a heyday for like so many variants and so many colors and there is a bit of fatigue there i think it's been overwhelming and now that most releases um have a color variant i think it's still important um but if you're at a point where you know you're you have a small pressing Mm -hmm. you're only doing like three or five hundred records the cost of color versus black is um substantial and mm-hmm. you don't want to do both. Um, you know, it's not like only doing black vinyl is a deal breaker. Mm. If they're gonna buy that record, usually the color is not going to stop them. Color sure. versus black will not stop them from buying it. Sure. But if they have the option, they'll likely go with the color. Yeah. Um I mean, I think my The one point that I really drive home is how crucial the marketing sticker is, especially for, um, in-store sales Mm. in a record store. Um, I would not sleep on that. I think so. I think just making sure that on your packaging is a sticker that, um, I mean, definitely if your artist or album title aren't featured clearly, Mm -hmm. on the record itself, make sure that's there, of course. Um, But yeah, including information that would interest someone who isn't familiar with the artist, like include recommended if you like bands, you know, if you like these bands, you'll like this record. Um, That's definitely something that I picked up from working in a record store, from being a collector myself. Um, When I'm looking for something new, I'm looking for marketing stickers. Um, I want a brief description of what this is. It can even be like super cheeky and weird. We have a label Numero that writes the most insane uh, little blurbs, but they're funny and they draw people in and it works, whether it gives you actual information about what it sounds like or not. it is a quick way to like differentiate yourself from other records in the shop and to catch someone's eye.
0: That's awesome. I completely agree. And I'm a sucker for, I fall for like album bios all the time. Like if it's one sentence and like, this was recorded in an abandoned church with one microphone I'm going to buy it, be- even though I, I might yeah. not like it, but it's like, you got me. I love that thing. Yeah. Exactly. That's so smart. Even maybe a picture of the band, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like you said earlier, I mean, yeah, if you can do a QR code with, um, you know, quick way to yeah. listen to part of the song or the full yeah. song or yeah. a video. Um, yeah. I think things like that are, are really big. Um, and then let's see. I mean, it can really vary by, by artist and by genre. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, you know, I think for established artists with, with, you know, well-established fan bases, um, any sort of like, you can, you can go a little bit crazier with what you're offering in the package because you can get away with a higher price point. Right. They're already fans. So they're going to want like, exclusive items special like inserts with more photos and information um you know i think with a debut or developing band um keep it as as cost effective as you can keep it simple um interesting of course focus Mm -hmm. on great assets you want the album art to be cool um and eye-catching but I would keep the packaging simple so that you can keep the cost down so that as, you know, there's the possibility of someone not knowing who that is, Mm. but still making the choice to pick it up.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. That's good. That's good thinking. And it it is challenging because records are... One over and interacting with people in so many different environments. Are there other retail stores? Like when I, when we're talking about physical retail, traditional brick and mortar, I'm thinking about like your classic record store that is in every city in North America and I imagine Europe and, um, this classic, uh, messy store that, you know, was had a heyday, then almost died in the 2000s and is having a heyday again. Are there other non-traditional retail outlets out there, maybe even online stores that I'm not thinking about?
1: Definitely. I mean, and I would add one in saying that like what you just described definitely exists, but we've also seen a ton of new shops pop up over the last five ish years, mm. five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's um, true. That's true.
1: So yeah. there are also a lot of really cool, just sort of like boutique or s- traditional, you know, just straight up record stores, but they're new and they don't necessarily have that feeling of, you know, this peaked at a different period, and, um, <laughs> You're right.
0: yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, Stickers they're like very, the
1: fr- very fresh, um, but yeah. to speak to maybe more non-traditional options, um, I mean we see a lot of like you know coffee shops or yeah I was curious about that. or, That's um yeah other you know other sort of businesses who maybe set up a small vinyl section and it's super tightly curated yeah um we've seen shops pop up that are like they're new but they are intentionally doing both of those things together um bars that start, having wow. a vinyl section. Um, you know, there was a funny period of time where places like Whole Foods were experimenting with having <laughs> yeah. vinyl. And yeah. I feel like that quickly, yeah. you know, <laughs> phased out. But yeah, I think a lot of people have have kind of um, dipped a toe, especially in those kind of, yeah. you know, maybe five years or so where it was like, very well established that there was a vinyl resurgence. People were interested in what was happening, but I think some of those more non-traditional folks realized like it is an expensive loss leader to bring in to the store. Yeah. Maybe that doesn't make sense, but there are a lot of really cute, well curated like boutique stores, coffee shops, bars, things like that, like cultural spaces that make sense to also carry music.
0: I love that. And I mean, Back in the day, whenever I would visit America, I would always go to Barnes and Noble, and I loved having like a. They had a great record section. I'm sure they don't yeah. anymore. I don't know. Maybe they do, but like they had a great music section and a coffee and and books and chairs and, I would love to see more of that like on a small scale, in little towns and stuff. That's definitely
1: pretty cool. yeah yeah. There's a nice spot <laughs> in Indianapolis that's about an hour from here, and they have a really nice setup where it's like they have a, a small like bar it's just like one you know counter space with a few chairs they have a stage oh. it's a venue but it's also a shop they also have these really nice little like listening areas with like the record table and a chair on either side yeah and, um yeah it's like they've created a space that is comfortable to hang out in and spend time in. Um and I think that's a really important part of of, you know, what could what a s- successful space could look like.
0: Totally. I apologize cuz you I actually when we were talking when I was talking about the traditional quote unquote record store, I forgot like what you had mentioned, there's two record stores in two cities few hours from me that i visited in the past six months and they're, they have incredible branding. They're brand new in the past two years and great social media presence. And they only sell new records and it's very neat and tidy in there. And it's all brand new records. And I like it. It's, I need to go to the other stores too for older records, but um, I forgot about that kind of model, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great to have a healthy balance of both, and a lot of cities do, which is really nice. Um, and, you know, a lot of those legacy stores are really doing great work to um, modernize, you know, mm. a, a sort of happy byproduct of the unfortunate situation in the pandemic where a lot of shops had to shut down physically for a while is that a lot of shops, um, you know, Created digital web stores, which they didn't have before. And that's become a huge, um, revenue source for them that allows them to work on their physical space. And they can also like try out more, they can be more curious and creative with their, what they're bringing in online. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can help kind of freshen up what they're willing to bring in, in store, um, so that's so been interesting. True.
0: We had a record store on here last year and he said something that blew me away during the pandemic. He, you know, this is a guy had been in the biz- business for 25 years. He said that like his number one competitor is Amazon and he needs to compete with them. So if they're delivering door to door next day, he's going to do that, which is so crazy because over the past 20 years so many businesses have just laid down to Amazon and and succumbed to them, but he's actually like trying to compete with them, which I thought was brilliant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think a lot of stores have, have done really interesting things to sort of differentiate themselves. Um, And I mean, I, I know that Amazon, Amazon is a competitor at the same time. I think we are in a space now where a lot of stores are feeling that compulsion a little bit less and again like realizing their value to the community and sort mm. of being okay with talking about that mm. and you know we work with um one store that I can think of in particular who has this like sign on their counter that kind of explains like you know we can't price match we are our, our um our model isn't the same as Amazon we're we are, we are when you spend money here it's um you know it's investing in the community and yeah, in a space that you so want to true. come to so true. um so again similar to the pricing thing i think it's important to consider both but not to make your decisions based off of an amazon or something like that yeah. because um you know i think we can we can fight that in the culture a bit and and That's make good. sure that people realize the the value
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Let me ask you real quick about the perspective of our community members who are most of us are not at the size of secretly, and most of us are maybe not even ready yet to approach someone like secretly when it comes to distribution. And so, this is a big question I get a lot like, you know, uh, when are we ready? How do you know? Is there a threshold? Um, How do you know if you're, if you have, if you're ready to have your record distributed nationally or internationally uh, or maybe like some signs that you're not ready, can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, one one important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, there's a very wide variety of, of distributors offering different levels of service and deal structures. Um So I think the most important thing to consider is especially for smaller labels would be to take the time to consider what you're actually looking for and to Mm. find the right fit. Um, you know, it's secretly, like I said, we're a global physical and distribution partner. Um, so our teams are super hands on with every release. We're working, um, you know, kind of as an extension of label partners. So beyond simply handling logistics, the logistics of distribution, we're advising on strategy, we're pitching our label partners releases, we're coordinating retail marketing campaigns, we do offer M&D support, the list Mm. goes on. Um, Not all distributors operate like this. You know, there there are lighter touch options, there are digital only options, there are even, kind of more casual, like Mm. non-exclusive paths that you can go. So, you know, if you're just looking to get your music out into the world and really just looking for a pipeline, um, you may be more interested in a digital deal. Maybe you're just looking at like TuneCore or CD Baby. Um, Those companies are more likely to charge an upfront fee or per release, Mm -hmm. um, which may be, you know, a pay structure that's more attainable for labels early on. Um, whereas, you know, as secretly distribution, it's more of an advanced option. Um, we have invested in global teams and warehousing and, and global distribution um, technology. So that level of service does require a certain scale. And so, you know, to make the economics of it work, I think Um, of course that's a, a big aspect of things when, when labels have to consider what they're doing is, you know, is my revenue as a label at a point that, um, you know, it would make sense for like a full service distribution partner to work with me. So, you know, that's a key point, but I think there are, as we said, mid there are there are options in between and there's a lot of work you can do to, to get there. And it you know, there isn't like one hard and fast number or like revenue
0: uh sure
1: that would make make it make sense. That would depend on on kind of who you're looking to work with. But um you know, I think in the meantime, there are, I mean, first of all, again, there's a lot of work that the label should do. Um, and there's a lot of self-distribution that they can can start with. You know, I think getting to know your local record store
0: 100% and agree, yeah.
1: stores in the community around you is like definitely where to begin. I mean, and I would also want to mention that the first time that you ask a record store to pick up your record shouldn't be the first time that they've seen you, you know, like,
0: <laughs> that's a great pull uh, quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Like, yeah. Be,
1: you know, be a part of their community, yeah. shop at their store, go to their events, like get to know them and what they're into and what they're playing in the store. Yeah. And Um, you know, build goodwill there, build relationships like that is, that is where to begin. Um, and if there's not a, if, if maybe you have a more like niche genre and the stores in your area don't seem to be, you know, necessarily interested in, in that specifically. Um, I mean, it's never been easier to find information online about other record stores and other communities. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I follow like, hundreds of record stores on social media. Um, I, most of my feed is is record stores. So I feel like I have a pretty good idea of like, you know, what they're bringing in, what they're into. Um, and definitely if you're, you know, a young or, or growing or just smaller label, um, pay attention to that stuff. Mm. And if you start to see like, oh, I'm noticing this shop really likes bands that are similar to the bands that I release, like maybe I should... DM them, or maybe I should send them a little care package of like a couple of my releases and just mention that, you know, I follow you. I've seen that you.
0: That's a great point. may have
1: similar tastes. Just start doing things like that. And I know it seems really in the weeds, but that's how you start building relationships and opening opportunities to, to, you know, to get to a different level.
0: Wow, that's really good. So it almost seems like you could, especially if you're in, like you mentioned, if you're in this micro genre, you're, if you have a distinct subgenre, that you have your, your band camp and you have your local record store or local to the band that you represent. And then maybe starting to do the research on your own as if you as, as you do with, with public um, press and curators, but finding those European stores, or those Japanese stores that love your music... And yeah. being your own distributor for a little while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And, you know, I should mention this because, I mean, I guess we're not super close to it, but in my world of knowing about music way too far in advance, it feels like it's coming up faster. But like end of year is a great time to do some work here because so many shops have their employees post their end of year list, their favorite things that have come out that year. And that's Available publicly, so take some time, look at those lists, see who, what employees at what stores, are into what you're into, yeah. and start so smart making those connections. Yes, um, and it, that's you this know, is ex- that starts to build something. This
0: is exactly what we would tell people, what a publicist would tell people about how to build a relationship with a writer or a curator or someone, and. That's the exact same. I love what you said. I mean, just that idea of like researching, going into the record store with nothing in your hand to sell, quite the opposite, to buy something. Um, Right. That's genius. I love that. Uh, So, okay, then, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Shoot. Well, that's kind of good to know, cause I was I was gonna ask you like what to do in the in-between time, but that's good to know that there is something um, that we can do in that little in-between period. I remember, and this is what I was gonna ask you, I remember in the olden days that the concept of physical distribution was if your band is on tour. So the only reason I should have a record in a city, 250 miles away is if they're playing through that town. Is that true? And let me tack on another question into that question as well. Would that be true in any sense if I noticed my Spotify numbers for an artist have a ton in Montreal, uh, for example?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think it is very important if you're, you know, the work is not done with getting a record in a store. I think before that happens, you want to make sure that there is an audience who would potentially buy that record. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what I was talking about before of like pinpointing maybe tastemakers who are interested, that's kind of a a different thing because there is an aspect, of course, of the record store where they are tastemakers and if they really like something, they'll recommend it. Mm. But if something is just sitting in their shop in the shelves they don't know about it there isn't an audience for it in town yet you've never played that town it's not really beneficial to to necessarily have that the likelihood of discovery it is there but it's it's low and you know a lot of shops keep track of when something is selling and how long it's been sitting there. So it could actually be potentially detrimental to have something sitting there for a super long time. So, you know, I think uh, so, you know, in your local community, whether you can get something in a shop, you know, wholesale or on consignment or whatever it may be like, that's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two is get people there. Make sure that you're sending people there. And you're posting about it when you drop them there. And um, so that the record store can be impressed and they're thinking like, wow, this is really selling. This is doing something. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, I think in other communities, definitely, you know, if you can go to a store and say, hey, our band has, you know, played shows in your town for the last like five years, we noticed it's one of their top markets online, um, you know, they do have an audience here. We'd really love to make sure that they have records in stores as long as you can come to them with, you know, something to indicate, Mm. like they're selling out a venue in your town or they're typically selling like 50 tickets or whatever that may be. Like if you're able to make a compelling case for it and show them that somebody's there who wants this and if they have it, it'll go, um, you know, Half of the label's job is to be a marketing company too. so yeah. you've got to make sure that you're um, you're driving that, you're building that excitement and and putting people there.
0: It's funny how every episode we do ends with this is hard work. you've got to put in the yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every facet requires homework and effort yeah, and, yeah, yeah it is yeah.
1: And I know especially for small labels, I mean it's a full-time job on top of often having mm-hmm. a full-time job.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: so, yeah, thinking about putting in all of that really like labor intensive work is is tough, but if that's yeah. what you're trying to pursue and, um, yeah, you know, also with the idea of potentially getting to a level of distributing go- globally,, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is the type of like early sort of like organic world building that you can do to, to get to that level, because that is something that, you know, of course, the most important thing when someone is considering distributing your label will be the music Mm. that will be, I, I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that at least for our company, it is music first, that will be the first Thing that we look at, that we listen to, we want to make sure that it's something that's interesting to us. Um, but the ability to um, to create campaigns, the ability to, um, yeah, take take that great piece of, of art and take it to market, you know, we would we would want to see, examples of of that happening on a smaller scale and what that can look like and what a partnership with us how how we could amplify that
0: that's great yeah I mean it's very similar to when an artist is ready to sign to a a label or a major label or a major indie it's it's usually not day one yeah Abby thank you so much for this this has been so helpful there's so many little details it's so fun to get a peek behind the curtain so thanks for doing this
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean I feel like we could go on for hours. Yeah. But totally it was go. really fun.
0: I hope you found that helpful. Thanks so much to Abby from Secretly Distribution for being on the show and sharing her wisdom and giving us some insights, a little peek behind the curtain. Thanks to Emma Bowers who helped produce this episode. And if you want more resources on distribution, I'm putting together a resource page that you can find at otherrecordlabels.com distribution. That's otherrecordlabels.com distribution. Thanks for listening.